message today is entitled, or is titled, um, uh, Standing Strong. And uh, I wrote this message uh, two and a half weeks ago. Um, before I was going to leave, I felt like this is something that the Lord wanted me to share on. And uh, so I want to look at Romans, or first Ephesians 4, 12. Um, if you'll turn with me to that, let's look at that real quick. Ephesians 4, 12. Now there's music playing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Ephesians 4.12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We've got to stand strong in that. Amen? Because there's tons of work to be done out there. And then Romans 831 and 32. I want to focus on 831 first. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Would you read that with me? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, we're going to do it one more time. When we get to the who, say it real loud. All right. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against Ooh, doesn't that sound good? Who can be against us? Satan can't stop the work of the kingdom of God. Unbelievers can't stop the work of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees tried, but they could not stop what Jesus was going to do. And so I want you to understand that. It's so important. So the very first point today is, what are you lacking? What are you lacking? It says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he was willing to give his son for us and he's willing to take care of us and equip us to do the things that need to be done in the kingdom of God, it's so important that we do that. Solomon was talking to his sons and he was telling them, to be attentive to his words. And he says in Proverbs 4.21, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Talking about his words. We need to keep the word of God within our heart. We need to be in the word daily. It's so important. So what are you lacking? People have the age-old addiction of trying to find peace and happiness. They're always lacking something. People are looking for identity, they're looking for community, and they're also looking for purpose. Can I say that again? People are looking for identity, they're looking for community, and they're looking for purpose. That is only found in Jesus Christ. Nothing else will satisfy you. So I got to look at some statistics. In the United States today, there are one million meth addicts. There are 1.2 million heroin addicts currently. There are 4.8 million cocaine addicts in the United States. There are 52.5 million people who use cannabis, marijuana. 17 million of those people are addicted. 29 million people in the United States are alcoholics. 
17 million men, 11 million women. These are all, we're talking adults here. It's crazy. There's almost 19 million people in America addicted to prescription drugs. And that's not even close to the number of people that are taking prescriptions. So if you total all that up, that's 124 million people in the United States. And let's just say, well, some of those overlap. So let's just remove 24 million and say there's 100 million people addicted to some type of form of abuse, substance abuse, in our nation. Man, that just... And we lead the world in this. Because as America goes, the world goes. And the devil wants to destroy this nation. You're like, man, those statistics, Owen, those are, yeah, they're terrible. I'm not even touched on pornography. I'm not touched on gaming. I'm not touched on overeating. <laughs> Gluttony. People addicted to social media. Mind-altering substances. The wealthiest nation on the earth with the most unfulfilled lives. And why am I telling you this? Because this is a time for us to rise up for the kingdom of God. One of the videos that the ladies were watching yesterday was a young man talking to another young woman. And he said, I am a Gen Z, Generation Z, which is those born from 1997 to 2012. Those are Gen Z's. Barna did a study on them, 30,000 Gen Z's. They found out that that generation was the most open to the gospel of any other previous generation that's ever existed. Gen Z's want to know about Jesus. They're going to be the generation that's going to lead the way for revival in these last days. It's those born from 97 to 2012, and we better be doing our best to reach and empower them. We better be the Mordecais, as I said a couple weeks ago, that are reaching the Esters and encouraging them. Rise up. This is the time you were born for such a time as this to make a difference. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren are those that God is going to use in a mighty way, but it's up to you and I to empower them, not hold them down, but release them to do what God's calling them to do. That's why I'm sending Taylor to South Africa. <laughs> because I want him to go and Rachel to go. Because when you experience something outside of this nation and you understand the poverty, you understand the hunger, you come back and you ignite others. God wants us to reach them. And we know things are getting intense in this nation. And people are so caught up in the elections and what's Trump going to do and what's Haley going to do and what's Biden going to do? Who gives a rip? <laughs> the Bidenites, the Trumpites, the Haleyites, the whatever they are. 
Let's just focus on winning the world for Jesus and let's start in our city, our current Jerusalem. I'm not against having good people in public office, but I'm telling you the reason things are falling apart is because we're not spending time developing good people in our homes. Fathers, where are you? Mothers, where are you? Single moms, you're heroes. Single dads, you're heroes. But we need to come Learn our identity, build community, so that we can focus on the purpose that God has for us. It's not build, about building a bigger building. It's not about having our gymnasium and our, you know, our workout room and our, our potlucks and all the... No, it's not that. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, and, and I was looking at Genesis 18, and I was thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah... And Lot is being told by the angels to get out of that city because God is about to destroy it. And he's hesitating and he's, he's doing all this stuff. And what, what's going on here? Why are you guys hesitating? What, what, why don't you get out? The two daughters and his wife. And finally, the angels push them outside. And he goes, send us to Zor. We want to go to Zor. I, don't destroy Zor. Send us to that city. And they get up to that city. And what happens? Lot's wife, they're told not to look back, but she turned back because her heart was longing for the things of Sodom and Gomorrah, and she became a pillar of salt. If we don't teach these young people, these teenagers, these young adults to stop looking back, you know why they're looking back? It's because we keep looking back. Man. I counsel a lot of people, and I, I was meeting with a young couple, and their parents are very involved in ministry and, and doing things. And she looked at me, and she goes, I'm just so sick of hearing my mom tell all of her children how she had this relationship with this guy in high school. Now, this is a 24-year-old daughter telling me this, and all she wants to talk about is that guy was really something and never building up the young lady's dad. Why are we looking back on our past relationships? Why are we looking back on the way church used to be? Give me a break, people. The way church used to be has got us what's in the mess, the mess that we're in today. The way church used to be allowed abortion to happen in America because we didn't stand strong and we didn't get involved. We don't need church the way it used to be. You need to quit looking back. Lot's wife looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. So many of us are longing for the things of our past. It is a known fact, psychologists will tell you this, that when you look back at your history, you rewrite it and make it better than it was. I remember my dad telling me, Son, for Christmas, there were nine children. If we had an apple and an orange, we were grateful. We didn't have shoes. Then I go meet with his sisters in Michigan, and I'm like, is it true? All you guys got for Christmas was an apple and orange, and you didn't have shoes? They're like, both the sisters, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, that's what my dad told me. She goes, our grandparents owned a hotel Two stores, 
They did all kinds of stuff. And our father gambled and drank his inheritance away. And his sister had to give him a house in 40 acres in order to raise all of us. But he had shoes. And he got Christmas. Quit glamorizing or making the past worse than it was. Or quit looking back. Well, if I could just go back and get this degree or my past career, I gave up the best job. Would you stop that? How can you have a present or even a future if you keep focusing on the past? Winston Churchill said, if you keep looking back, you can't see what's ahead. Too many are driving their vehicle in the rearview mirror looking back. Some of you drive like that anyway, but um, <laughs> let's talk about addiction one more time. Over a hundred, just in the drug, not even talking about alcohol here, 110,000 Americans are dying a year because of overdoses. That should break our heart. If 110,000 people were killed in one city, America would be in a panic right now. There would be such an outcry to do something about it, but yet we've opened up our borders, we're allowing all this stuff in, and they're filling up our nation with these drugs to kill and destroy lives. Our police are overwhelmed. Our fire departments are overwhelmed. Emergency responders are overwhelmed because there's so much going on. Keeping Narcan to try to keep people alive. It's so pathetic. And why am I saying this? Because we were born for such a time as this to make a difference in their lives. God has called us to say, this Gen Z wants to know about God. Let's make sure they do. Let's focus our time and energy on raising them up. That's why it's so important for you to serve in the children's ministry and make a difference back there. To love on them. To encourage them. I remember being in fifth grade and having a Sunday school teacher named Wayne Gilead. No, Wayne Gerhardt was his name. Wayne Gerhardt, six foot nine. Six foot nine. I knew Wayne Gilead. He was a greeter in the church, and it was him with his smile and his love that brought my, my mom in with four kids and got us all put in the right classes, and he was just a joy to be around. But Wayne Gerhardt taught fifth graders, and we had some rough boys in that class. And I remember one Sunday morning, they had him in tears, had him crying. Six-foot-nine basketball player, just broken because they did everything to disrupt the class. And I just sat back there in shock. And I let him know later that I appreciate him being my teacher and helping me. And Wayne would pick my brother and I up on a Saturday when my dad had a hangover or an evening, and he would take us to play basketball. And he would get us there, and then he'd take us to McDonald's. And he would spend time with us. And Wayne Gearhart made a difference in my life. 
He spent time letting me see what a godly man was about. I think about Frank in our church. Growing up, we didn't have a bus ministry. My mom couldn't give. She couldn't tithe. If she gave, my dad would beat her. She wasn't allowed to drive a car, and she wasn't allowed to work. So people would pick us up or we would walk to church. I remember her pulling us to church, all four of us in a wagon. And the church finally got a van to pick us up. We didn't give anything to the church. We had nothing to give. We weren't allowed. And then eventually they got an old bus. And Frank drove the bus. And Frank worked on the bus. And Frank got the bus going. And Frank would get us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Take us to revival services. I remember I got a call a few years back from Frank's daughter. And she said, my dad passed away. I hadn't heard about Frank in 20-some years. And she said, the family talked and they said, Owen, would you come and do my dad's funeral? I said, I would be honored. And in tears, I stood there and I told them what all their dad had done. How he fixed the bus in the snow, whatever, helped us on, helped us off, got that bus, would have 20 to 30 people coming to church every week, spending his time making sure, and then Don Goller did it after Frank. You see, you don't know who you're going to impact. You don't know what life you're going to change. I remember Taylor being told, not asked, being told that I was going to Malawi, Africa. I said, man, send me to Jamaica. Send me to the Bahamas. Send me to warm Mexico, but don't send me to Africa. But I was told I was going on a missions trip to Africa for 17 days. We just had our first child. He was three months old. I didn't want to leave him or Shaloy, but I went. And for 17 days, we were in the jungle, we were in cities, we were establishing. We started 17 churches in Langwe, Malawi. We went into Mozambique, which was in siege and war. And I saw all these people being destroyed, living in mud huts, having nothing. And we were trying to hand out tracts and talk to them. And 10,000 of them surrounded us and started crying out. They thought we were giving them food. And there was only about 16 of us. And they were worried we were going to be crushed. The UN workers came in and said, stop, 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 stop handing out things. You're going to start a riot. And one of the guys with me got so scared, he threw the tracks up in the air, and it caused a mass panic. And I was in the middle of that. But we started those 17 churches. I didn't want to be there. AIDS was running rampant. That country was 40% HIV positive. 40%. You didn't wear masks or gloves back then, like they did anything. We trusted Jesus. 
Malaria was just blazing. We slept with nets over us. But 10 years later, in Langlongway, Africa, over 2 million people in a revival gave their life to Jesus. And those churches were full and overflowing because some people decided to go and be Jesus to some folks and love them. And I met this African pastor there, and he took me into the jungle and his name was Owen. And when he found out my name was Owen, he's like, brother, you come into my house. I'm like, I'm there, Owen. And I said, you know what Owen means? He's like, no. I said, Owen means mighty warrior, young at heart. Whoa. He goes, I received that, brother. Warrior for Jesus. I said, yeah. When inside, I'm scared to death of everything I'm facing over there. <laughs> you see, God uses broken, scared, ill-equipped people that don't feel they measure up. Those are the best people for the kingdom of God because when you don't feel like you have anything to offer. And night after night, I cried. Not because I was there. I cried because of my attitude I had getting there. And I was ashamed of what I thought. And to see people get saved and come in to our meetings, it's amazing. It's amazing. God wants to use you now. He wants to use you now. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. See, the first thing that has to happen is we have to ask ourselves, what are we lacking? And then what we have to do is we have to look at some things in our life. A, we need restoration. We need to understand who we are in Christ. Your hurts and wounds can be healed in Jesus. That's for somebody today. He wants to set you free from generational bondages and emotional dysfunction that has happened in your family. I mean, you've heard me talk about this before, but it's so important that you get this. When I grew up because of the alcohol in my family, and I couldn't speak because I stuttered so bad, and I would get excited in my stuttering, I would go to say like, and 30 seconds I couldn't get the word the out. And, and kids would laugh at you and make fun of you. And, and the more they did that, the worse my stuttering got. And so I'm taken out of class all the way up from five years old, all the way up to eight years old, trying to help me not to stutter. And the devil saw what was going to happen in the future with me. And he says, let's just beat this boy up. Let's stop him from doing anything that he could do. And God had a bigger plan. So it doesn't matter what you've walked through. God is bigger than your past. Don't make it a stumbling block. Make it a stepping stone and use it to step up and say, I can help reach those that got hurt like I did. Yeah, 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God can give you mercy. He can give you comfort. Oh, my goodness. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. Come on now. All things are possible with Christ. Amen. If he can take a Gideon hiding out in a wine press and send an angel there, and he's scared to death he's going to die, and the angel says, oh, mighty man of valor, and Gideon's going, I know you're not talking to me. And the kid was so scared when he was told he was going to lead to overcome the enemy And he kept putting fleeces before God because he had so much doubt in his identity. God can still walk you through your problems. That's what I love about Jesus. He's no respecter of persons. But some of you are hanging on to that past, and you're like, well, I remember revival. Man, I was at Brownsville. It was great. God touched my life. But I don't talk that much about Brownsville. Because that was the past. I don't need to look back. I'm looking for God to do the new thing. I know he's doing it. God is doing a new thing. Anyway, that's DC talk many years ago. God is doing a new thing. I'm like, I'm waiting for the Gen Z's to rise up and say, come on, old man. You want to be a part of this? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll encourage you. But I'll let you do the lifting. Let's keep reading. Those who are in any affliction with the comfort in which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, as though Christ we share abundantly in comfort too, If we are afflicted, it is you, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, we also share in your comfort. We are part of this community. I didn't know you couldn't go to Purdue University and just hand out tracts and witness to people in the union. So I did that. I had a guy go and get a big old mouthful and spit it in my face. And he said, I don't want any of your Jesus. I had another guy tell me he was tired of me talking about Jesus and he decked me. I said, praise the Lord. I'm making an impact. I didn't get up and say, come on, sucker. Come on, man. No, I didn't do that. When that guy spit in my face, I went, hallelujah. He loves you so much. I didn't know when I would go down to the Indianapolis 500 at the parade, and we were there, and we took, I took 
over 80 of my junior hires down there, along with other groups. We met down there, and we witnessed to people on the parade route. I had a track. It had all the drivers, and I was telling people, and I was interviewing people. Who's your favorite driver? Why is you your favorite driver? Where'd you come from? Oh, my goodness. And what brought you here today? That's awesome. Can I share with you something else? Do you have a moment for me to tell you something? Sure. I just want you to know that Jesus brought me here today to tell you he loves you. He loves you. And then on Georgetown Road, anybody know about Georgetown Road on, on the, evening, the nights of, of, of the Indianapolis 500, the crazy stuff that goes on, the drink, drinking, the fighting, the, the yelling, the screaming? Doug and Reese and I are on top of a fire truck. We've got a speaker system. We're driving the fire truck down Georgetown Road. Jesus Christ loves you. He, you right over there sitting there with that shirt off. He loves you. He's like, hey. Yeah, but I did crazy things. But I wanted them to know about Jesus. Where are our radicals for the Lord today? Oh, you mean the guy at work might want me to pray with him? I, I don't even know how to pray. And you start going back into your Catholic roots. <laughs> Just be a vessel to be opened up. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You don't have to have eloquent words. You don't have to have all this. Just let the Lord use you. It's amazing what God wants to do. Let me read the next part, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. I'll close with this because I'm going to finish this up next week. So if you didn't get point, the rest of point one and two and three, I'll get you next week. You don't have to come up after service and have me give you the fill-ins, okay? <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the old Owen has passed away. Can I go back and just hug the old Owen and live there? No. Can I go back and hug the old revivals? No, the old has passed away. Come on now. He's doing a new thing. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Come on now. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So when I see somebody struggling with homosexuality, I see somebody struggling with the whole transgender thing, I don't go, oh my gosh, oh my. No, I'm like, hey, come here, come here. Can I give you a hug? Huh? Can I just give you a hug? I walked up to this kid at the mall, and he had stepped out, said he was gay. And I ran into him, and he was working. I said, come here, man. Yeah? You're that preacher. Yeah. I said, Jesus sent me here. I didn't even know you worked here. My wife doesn't know I'm buying another shirt. 
said, I'm supposed to give you a big hug. Is that okay? Cool, man. I gave him a big hug. I squeezed him. I said, God is not done with you. I know there's a lot of things going on in your life. And I know your father didn't want anything to do with you. And I know you spent time with your mom. And that's why you're, you're just longing for a father figure. I said, but Father God in heaven, he loves you, dude. And he wants you to know him. And if you ever want to know more about him, here's my card. You call me. And when I saw the girl and the guy, and they were dressed up, with the chains, and he was pulling her like she was the dog, and there were spike collars on her, and I'm like, oh, and she's like, don't, 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 no, no, and I run over there, I said, come here, come here, you got to tell me why you're doing this, I got to know, because I'm like, if I can win that one to Jesus, they will be radicals for the kingdom of God. If they're willing to wear spike collars and be dragged around with a chain, I know what they could do for the kingdom of God. I said, tell me why you're wearing that. Well, it's just kind of cool. I said, wow. I said, can I give you guys a hug? I don't want to get close to your spike collar. <laughs> but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And he sent me here to tell you that he broke all chains. And he's got a purpose and a plan for you. Stand with me this morning. See, we want to judge him down. We want to beat him up and break him down verbally. And God says, no, just give them me. Give them Jesus. And I was thinking about restoration. Charles Spurgeon was a great reconciler. God used him in healing. So many people got healed in Spurgeon's meetings. But did you know that Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression? And he battled it for such a long season. Even though he was being used for people to be healed or whatever, he had this stuff going on. See, we're not perfect. God doesn't need perfect vessels. He just needs the cracked and the broken that leak a little bit to get out there. And the more you give, the less you worry about you. Even in restoring mess, marriages, this is for somebody today. I wrote this down question can you place your spouse's happiness above yours can you place your spouse's happiness above yours love doesn't start with the feeling it starts with an attitude can you love them like Christ loved the church in spite of what's going on can you Place their happiness above yours. That's where it starts. And you've heard me say this time and time again, but it just grabs me when my Aunt Betty, when she was going to church and she wanted my Uncle Tip to come to know the Lord, 
And he didn't want anything to do with God because he didn't even have a father growing up. He only had a second grade education. She taught him to read and write. She taught him to excel in things. He was a smart, one of the smartest guys I knew. But she would look at him and they would eat and she would say in front of their boys, Tip, would you like to pray over the meal today? And he said, no, no, I'm not doing that. And every meal, my Aunt Betty, because <laughs> she just believed God was going to save him. She would say, would you like to pray today over the meal? No. She said, Tip, would you like to go to church with me today? No. And she kept this up for months. And finally, my Uncle Tip, when she asked him to go to church, said, I'll go with you today. He gave his life to the Lord. And then one day she said, Tip, would you like to pray over the meal? I'll pray over the meal. You see, she saw what God saw. And by faith, she extended it. So those prodigals, whether it be a spouse or a child or a grandchild or a great-grandchild or a Gen Z or a millennial, whatever it is, a baby boomer, whoever it is, would you just start believing God on their behalf and see them coming back and see them praying and see them speaking and see them living it out? Because if he can do that for somebody like you and me, he can do that for them. With heads bowed, believers are praying right now. Man, I just feel like God's brought some folks. And you're like, Owen, I've known about Jesus. And I've known the right way to go. But man, I just keep tripping up and stumbling. And I let the condemnation from myself and the devil and others just keep me down. I just want to rededicate myself to the Lord. And nobody looking around. I'm not even going to have you come up front. Everybody's got their heads bowed, eyes closed. But if that's you today, I want to start standing strong, Owen. I don't have a lot to offer. Neither did I. I didn't even want to go to Africa. I didn't even want to go to church as a kid. But you're saying today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give it back. Nobody, would you just lift your hand and say, remember me in prayer on? Just hold it up for a moment. Yes, 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 yes. Whoo, yes, yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Anybody else remember me in this prayer, Owen? Maybe it's your first time. It's okay. Lift that hand up too. Yes. There is a sound of celebration happening in heaven right now. Anybody else before I pray and have everybody pray out loud? You say, just remember me too, Owen. Nobody's looking around. Just, yes. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. I will never apologize for weeping when I know God is moving in people's lives. Anybody else? I want everybody to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus. 
Even if you didn't raise your hand this morning, I want you to say it. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a backslider. I've walked away. Forgive me of my sins. You're the Son of God. The Bible says to believe in you and receive you. You lived a perfect life. You went to the cross and you died. But you rose again for me. For me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Help me to have a hunger for your word. A desire to fellowship with believers. To be an overcomer in temptation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise? Thank you, Jesus. You said that at home. You received Christ. If you don't have a Bible or you want some material, I'll have Pastor Taylor up here. You can come and see him. He'll be glad to get you some stuff. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll finish this message up next week.